Hello, and welcome to A Couple of Europhiles, a podcast that delves into cultural realities. My name is Bailey Alexander, and I'm here with my partner, Francis, who loves nothing more than to talk about history. So today, the French elections. But before we go into the way in which the French vote and predictions, let's take a look at their history and the way in which the French choose to govern themselves, their constitution, and precisely why this tribe is anything but a tribe of cheese-eating surrender monkeys. So Francis, hey, where do you want to begin? Gosh, when you have a topic like France, you just, you know, you don't know where to start. Vive la France. Vive la France. Il faut jamais oublier la gloire qui est France. <laughs> so America's oldest ally, without which America wouldn't exist. And, you know, they give you magnificent gifts like the Statue of Liberty instead of burning down the White House. So France, France has, in fact, the most positive record in battle of any country ever. It, it beats out America, it beats out England, it beats out everybody. They have a magnificent, glorious history, and they were the center of Europe for literally centuries, the most populous country and so forth and so on, until they were you know, overtaken relatively recently. So it's always been the center of Europe and it's been a, a very powerful country. You know, it was united and is very centralized. And, you know, it has its own culture, magnificent as it is. And, you know, we think of France as our long lost cousins over here in Italy. Well, they are a bit different from the Italians in that they do tend to think of themselves at the center of the universe sometimes. Well, I don't know about the center of the universe. France has a very interesting fact is that France actually controls more ocean than any other country because it has far-flung possessions across the Pacific. And every place that has a 200-mile exclusion zone, if you actually add them all up, France controls more water than any other country, including, you know, the U.S. or Britain. Well, let's talk about how the French choose to govern themselves, because it is a bit different than other systems. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting point that you raise. Obviously, the French constitution dates back to the war. The Fifth Republic is the one we have now. And uh, the French constitution essentially gives the president a, a, quite a lot of power. It's very similar to the American president. He's, uh, he's in charge of, he's the head of state and of government. And he basically runs foreign policy and, and foreign affairs almost exclusively as his reserve and leaves domestic stuff to the prime minister. So, you know, he, he is quite powerful. I used to have a term of seven years uh, back when de Gaulle became the first French president of the First Republic. Um, but now it's been limited uh, down to four years, like uh, or five years, I believe, like um, prime minister. So you have elections at the same, more or less the same time. So right now it's topical because today is in fact the first round of the French presidential election. And Macron is fighting for uh, getting reelected. The French system requires two votes. In the first vote, you vote for whoever you want. And there are several parties and many different candidates. And then the top two candidates get to do a runoff vote later on in about two weeks. And that vote is the one that decides uh, who's actually gets to be president. So essentially, in the first ballot, you vote for whoever you want. In the second ballot, you vote against whoever you don't want. 
And whoever becomes the president knows that he has a majority of the entire country voting that, that you know, he may not be the first choice, but they agree that he's the best candidate. So he has a strong democratic mandate um, and all regions in France, including the ones that are overseas, get to vote. France doesn't treat its colonies as second class citizens. They're French citizens uh, and they vote the same and count the same as any place else that's in France. I think some people, or rather some pundits across the pond, are somewhat confused as to why Macron appears to be the one leader who maintains communication with Putin and why not the others. They're, They're diplomatique. This is a role they've they've historically played, right? French diplomats are the best in the world, always have been. French diplomacy, in fact, the language of diplomacy up until very recently was French. Most uh, treaties were written in French because the French language makes it very difficult to uh, have ambiguity, right? So when you write the treaty in French, it's obvious what you mean, and it can't be interpreted different ways. This is you know, carried on for quite some time up, up until recently, where it's been supplanted by English because English is now more or less the world language. But um, up until recently, it was French for diplomacy. So why are the French still uh, trying to negotiate with Russia? Because that's the right thing to do. They need both sides. To, both sides need to believe that the war needs to end. And both sides need to sit down and discuss the terms under which that might happen. And France recognizes this and takes a very pragmatic view of of the conflict and, and, and trying to find a solution that will work for both sides, because there's no way that Russia is going to be defeated and there's no way that Ukraine is going to be conquered. So given that those two extremes are out, the only thing that will happen is a negotiated settlement. The sooner you get to a negotiated settlement, the sooner the bullets will stop flying. And France knows this. So they, they're taking stick for it because everyone's being hysterical right now. But France is actually pursuing the only credible long-term solution. And hopefully, in hindsight, people will be grateful that they did that. And contrary to this pejorative term that's been applied to them, this cheese-eating surrender monkeys phrase, they do know a thing about war, do they not? <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, French are tough. First of all, France, as I said, they they won so often that they have a magnificent building in Paris called the Arc de Triomphe, which is covered with the lists of the names of the battles that they basically won. You know, so yes, they do know a lot about war. And one of the things that uh, that France is good at is, you know, they, they've determined, especially after they lost in the, the Second World War, they were conquered by Germany briefly. And then the Free French and the other allies basically liberated France. And France, ever since the Second World War, has maintained an independent military policy so that the bulk of their weapons are produced in France and they don't, they're not dependent on suppliers from anywhere else or on their security to anyone else. They're both a nuclear power, a full member of the UN Security Council, and they have you know, aircraft carriers and, and they are one of the top military powers in the world even today. And of the top military powers, they're actually independent. Russia, uh, China, France, and the United States can actually, you know, fight battles and win wars by themselves, whereas the others need help or alliances and so forth and so on. So France is still up there. It's smaller than the others, the other three big powers in the world today. But uh, it's definitely number four in terms of independence and, and ability to, to actually affect military outcomes. 
And what about the actual composition of France? Because we lived there for three years, we lived in Paris, but Paris is a highly concentrated area. And then you have this entirely large space surrounding Paris. If, you, if anyone goes to France and actually drives around, what you realize is that there's Paris, which is a world city comparable in size to London, although smaller than London, and a whole bunch of empty space, <laughs> okay? Uh, Paris is by far the largest city in France, and it has a centralized, it's centralized, right? I mean, it's like England in that respect, that London is the center in England, France the center is Paris. Germany and Italy are not like that. They have a lot of little cities, you know, Milan, Rome, Florence, etc., Berlin, Munich, Hamburg, etc. So the, uh, you know, the French are Paris and everything else, and the that does tend to color the situation in, in the country. Um, all the railroads basically hub through Paris. So if you want to get from, let's say, Brittany to, you know, Cayenne or, or, or the Normandy coast or Calais, you have to go through Paris. You know, it's a, it is a centralized hub and their government is essentially, uh, you know, very local, run by mayors and so forth and so on, and then uh, central. Right. It's it's different to the way the Federal Republic of Germany or the Italian Republic are run, where you have a lot of power in the regions. They don't have that in France. But the French are historically emotionally invested in their government. They actually believe that their government is going to assist them on some level. Yeah, you know, a lot of people do. <laughs> you know, it's like we do too here in Italy. At the end of the day, when there's a crisis, the government does come through and the French have a belief that their government will also come through. Although the French really know how to protest. Thomas Jefferson once said that where the government uh, is afraid of the people, you have liberty. And where the people are afraid of the government, you have tyranny. And France is definitely in the former category. The French government has to pay close attention to what the French people want and what the unions want and what the farmers want, because when they protest, they can drive the whole country into a standstill. And the government knows that it needs to find the right balance between you know, strategic goals and, and local interests. Sometimes the French exaggerate when they when they protest and they, they create a lot of trouble. But at the end of the day, you know, that does keep the government on its toes and, and the people do feel that that is happening most of the time. And they feel, you know, Paris has a long history of this, right? Paris in particular, they did that back when they were kings, Louis XIV, you know, the, the French citizens of Paris would get on the barricades and every so often, you know, chop the heads off some aristocrats and put them all in their place. You know, the, the, the French have a long and, and proud history of, of uh, protest and popular intervention in government. And uh, the government doesn't forget those lessons. So they're still governed pretty well my opinion. Let's head into election mode. Now, what was profoundly interesting was what Macron was able to do in the last election. Why don't you go into that a bit? Macron did something amazing in the last election. Basically, it came out of nowhere. He was an economy minister in a previous government, and then he wasn't the candidate that they thought that they were going to run. So uh, he formed his own party, which is sort of unheard of. And then he ran and won the election on his own party platform that he created for that election. Plus, he then got his party candidates into the majority in the parliamentary election, so that uh, this new party that no one had ever heard of prior to the election actually jumped in and became the majority governing party. 
That would be like in the U.S. having a third party guy like Ross Perot win the election for the Reform Party and then win Congress for the Reform Party uh, just slightly later. Um, you know, something that would never happen, right? In, in the U.S., you're either red or blue. It's either Republicans or Democrats, and maybe the occasional independent will win a seat, but they'll never take the House or the Senate or the presidency. So what he did was remarkable because in France, it was similar, right? You had the right, you had the left, and you know the, the same parties would switch hands just like in the US. And then Macron came along and tipped over the apple cart. So he really did something amazing. Well, this election is is complicated, isn't it? It's uh, Macron is not without his his own challenges because he has that likability issue. As a banker, he's a uh, he's an acquired taste in a way, and he has a sense of arrogance, of course, that can turn people off. But there are things that are working in his favor: nuclear power. Um, they don't have to rely upon Russian gas. They're not as vulnerable as Italy or Germany. Uh, both feeling the pressure, in particular Germany. We're mixing a lot of issues here. So first of all, the French have always been insistent on standing on their own two feet, which we mentioned earlier in the military aspect. Their, their army is independent. Their weapons are all made in France. They're all good to go. That's military. But they did the same in energy policy, right, which is very important. France is the number one nuclear power probably in the world. I'm not sure, but I think it is. And it generates 70% of its own power requirements or energy requirements through nuclear and manages their own reactors. And it's run by the state. And you know, this is another important point. The state runs energy in France, more or less. So it's not subject to the normal movements of the capitalist markets and private enterprise, right? So the government can dictate energy policy. And Macron has used it in this current crisis to limit the increase in electricity prices to 4%, which contrasts with an 80% increase in, the, in Italy uh, over the last two years, and, and uh, even more horrendous increase in, in the UK and in Germany, where we were short-sighted and we're relying on Russian gas. And that's a topic because we want to limit the money that's going to Russia to enable them not to fight in the Ukraine. I don't believe that the Ukraine conflict in France is as big a deal as it is in Germany and Italy, because France is less dependent on Russia for their energy. And they're basically taking a very pragmatic view. And they look at this thing and say, you know, we're not being held a hostage here. So we don't have a, an issue with our with our with our stuff. I mean, the Germans are desperate to end the conflict because they need the thing to settle down so they can fix their energy policy. So there's there's actual real domestic emergencies that are driving German policy, which are absent in France. So, you know, yes, th that is, but that's not Macron, right? That's been a French policy for decades to be independent. And he has the good fortune of being the French president and can therefore take advantage of that policy. Macron is considered very arrogant by the French themselves. They call him Jupiter because they think he sits on his throne in the clouds and doesn't mix with the little people and doesn't really know how to talk to the little people because he's a really high-powered economist. He, you know, has been working in the rarefied circles. Uh, he went to the right schools, the, the top economic schools and political schools in the country. And, and he's not got a real common touch with the common people. And they don't like that. He is not popular in France because he is considered to be aloof and elitist. 
right? Having said that, he is a very competent economist, and he was able to really, you know, pull France through the COVID crisis and through the general economic crisis and through Brexit, through all these things that happened very well. And France has grown and improved significantly economically under his watch. You know, the, the unemployment is down, the, the take-home pay is higher, everybody's actually in good shape. Now, I the French are weird because if that had been somebody else, then they would all give him the credit and say, gosh, we want this competent guy to continue to run the country. But the French don't like him. So, you know, you're contrasting, you know, he's really good at what he does with we really don't think he's a nice guy. And, you know, a lot of people are going to vote against him because they think he's he's not a nice guy. The reforms have something to do with this, right? He's pretty aggressive with. Yeah, yeah. Now he forced together a lot of unpopular reforms. He raised the retirement age in France, which was a little ridiculous. You know, they, they, they were basically giving themselves a little bit like Greece. Uh, they gave themselves a whole bunch of retirement benefits and so forth and so on at a very young age. And they can't afford to keep paying that and carrying the burden. So he's like, this isn't going to be sustainable and we need to reform it. It's a little bit like social security reform in the U.S., which, you know, everybody knows that uh, the Social Security Administration doesn't have enough money to meet the baby boomer retirement. But, you know, they are still busily printing dollars uh, as the world's reserve currency to keep paying the pensions. But Macron doesn't have that option because the franc is not the world's reserve currency. He doesn't even control the franc because it's the euro now. So he needed to make sure that the government was on a sustainable footing. And that, of course, is very unpopular with the retirees or potential retirees who are looking forward to a gravy train. So, yeah, no, people people do that. Right. But in terms of what's good for the country, he's making the right reforms um, and it is showing up in foreign investment, foreign direct investment. The French business environment has picked up. It's taking a lot more money in than it used to because companies realize that it is now a more friendly place to do business and that it helps employment and everything else. So he is doing a very creditable job on the economy, but I don't know. In fact, I don't think that the people are going to give him credit for it. Um, although I do believe, and we'll find out later, that he's going to win this election, although it will be closer than last time, and it's going to be a struggle. Well, what are your thoughts on uh, Marine Le Pen? I mean, how, is she, how has she been able to so effectively neuter her extreme policies, her extreme view? And because she's actually come around to the EU, has she not? Her, her, her stance before was very anti-EU. Yes, it was. Marine Le Pen is a consummate politician. She's the daughter of... Uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, who founded the uh, National Front Party, France for the French and all that. But she realizes that, you know, you can sit on a high horse and be a fringe candidate, or you can try and actually become a credible candidate. To become a credible candidate, you can't have massively unpopular positions. She's backed off, particularly since everybody sees the damage that Brexit did to the UK. She backed off from even suggesting that France should follow the same route and exit. So she is still going to be, you know, trying to control immigration. She's talking more about brown people rather than EU citizens. But France is firmly in the EU camp and she's she's retracted and retreated from her position, which was a little bit more right wing. Uh, Salvini and the other guys in Italy have done the same. And in fact, there is no strong party in any position of power that still has exiting the EU as part of their manifesto. So Marine Le Pen has moderated her positions, and this has gotten a lot of people on the fence more in her camp. She gets some credit because she's always been seriously pushing for France. 
even the Republicans, which are the, uh, the mainstream right-wing party, which uh, Michel Barnier was trying to get the candidacy for and got beaten by Valérie Lepresse. Basically, they also started saying things like, we don't want unchecked immigration. We want to be able to take advantage of the existing EU rules that prevent uh, you know, EU nationals from living in France without having uh, the means to support themselves or a job or whatever. I mean, there's a limit to how much generosity they're going to have. Everybody's got the right to work and everything, but you can't claim benefits forever in a foreign EU state, or at least the EU allows you to restrict it if you want to. And France is now saying, you know, we don't want everybody here, so we need to be careful about our policies. They're also a little concerned about the immigration from former French colonies in North Africa and other places where they have something like 12% Muslim population, uh, which are not integrating well into French society, and that worries them. They do allow Muslims freedom of religion and so forth, but they do try to insist that everybody who's in France doing stuff should, in fact, be plugged into the French civil society and so forth and so on. So that has been a more popular position. And because Marine Le Pen championed it by herself for a while, now the right wing, in order to get more votes, uh, is also assuming some of the positions that she had before. Similar to how the Tory party moved to the right to take some votes from UKIP because they found out that some of that stuff was quite popular. So they basically decided to co-opt it. And the right, the, the Republicans uh, have decided to co-opt uh, some of her ideas. But generally speaking, you get credit if you're the first person with an idea and everybody recognizes that she came up with this in the first place. So she's got a lot of support. She's definitely coming in second in the uh, in the election if uh, if Macron wins the majority or the, the plurality of the first ballot, and then it'll be a runoff. Any thoughts about the anti-vax crowd? The French were about 70%, 30% in favor of the vaccine. The Italians were about 85% in favor of the vaccine. So there's a minority in both countries. And then Macron slowly put the squeeze on the unvaccinated and said, if you don't get vaccinated, then you won't be able to go places and go to restaurants and do stuff. So many of them reluctantly said, oh, screw it. I'm going to get vaccinated because I want to go to restaurants. So you had a, a, a fringe people who were unsure about the vaccine, and then they went and got vaccinated anyway, because they wanted to still participate in civil society. And then you have the hardcore, which is, you know, a small element who make a lot of noise and, you you know, publish a lot of blogs and, and get in the little little print papers. And then you get the foreign press, you know, jumping on this thing and getting all excited. I mean, I remember reading an article in um, the press about an Italian who apparently wanted to leave the EU and put it on his manifesto. And this was like an article in one of the English papers, I think it was the Express or the Mail. So I look, I never heard of the guy. I looked him up. He has 0.5% uh, support, and he's never got elected to anything. So he's like a guy in a pub. So, you know, I think there is a, a little bit of distortion that goes on in the media. And maybe, maybe it's going to affect a little bit the turnout in the election, or there may be some people who believe or pretend to believe these conspiracy theories, but nothing like the extent to which it's happening in the States. So uh, my belief is 
The other thing about the French system, which is good, is that this two vote thing tends to wake everybody up. If the turnout is low in the first ballot, and it turns out that it looks like it's going to be an, an over, like if Marine Le Pen wins the first ballot, let's say, because her supporters or hardcore supporters all turn up and Macron's just stay home, then she'll be at like, you know, 35% or some incredible number. And then Macron will be like 20 and then everybody else. Then in the runoff, when Macron is actually uh, going up head to head to decide who is actually the president, everybody's going to be like, oh my God, she got 35% quick. And then everybody will show up to shore it up. So, you know, the, the, the problem of low turnout doesn't really have the same impact in France where you have this double election because the first round just shows what's going on and it gives everybody a chance to wake up, you know, dust the cobwebs off the wallet, find the voter card and get down there for the second ballot. So, you know, that's the, the system is designed to prevent extremism and it works really well. Obviously, inflation is an issue. And the number one issue for the French, they've, they've said, is uh, their purchasing power. There is a problem with inflation right now. It's exacerbated largely by the energy crisis because the energy crisis is a nightmare. All right. There are only two things that are absolutely critical, food and energy. Everything else is nice to have. So if you don't have energy or, and, and the price goes up, it doesn't just affect your electricity bill or your heating bill. It also affects the factories where you work, because without power, they can't keep operating, which means they're going to lay you off, which means that you have unemployment, which means that your purchasing power goes down. So there's a big catastrophic knock-on effect when the energy supply is in, is in danger, right? Macron, yes, the French are also going to suffer, right? I mean, their inflation, their, their energy prices went up, but he capped it at 5%. Compare that to Italy, which is at 83%. Right. Uh, you know, it's just night and day different. Right. But the French are going to complain about it regardless. You know, food prices are going to get affected by the war in Ukraine because Ukraine is a big exporter of food. And for example, Egypt has to buy grain from somebody else because they, they lost their Ukrainian suppliers. So that puts pressure on all the other food suppliers because there's now more customers in the market looking for food when the supply has been cut. Right. So, you know, there are natural macroeconomic effects, and we live in a global world now where everybody's dependent on everybody else. So France can't be shielded from that entirely. But, you know, given where Macron is sitting, he's doing a really good job uh, of making sure the impact affects the French less than everybody else around them, right? Now, when you feel a pinch in your wallet, then you're basically going to complain right? You don't usually think, oh, but I have it much better off than the poor Italians or the poor Germans or the poor somebody else's, right? You always worry about what's happening to your wallet. And, you know, that's going to have an impact in France. Of course it is. But at the end of the day, as an outsider looking in, you're sitting there going like, gosh, I wish I was in France because I'd love to not have to pay 80% uplift on my electricity bill. You know, you, you got to know when you got it good, but most people don't. And it's not just the French. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the elections other than we predict Macron will win? When was, when, when's the second ballot? In, end of the month? Um, it's in this month. I think it's 10 days later. Uh, I'm not sure 100%. I need to check. But the first ballot's today. So, um, you know, we're all counting on Macron. Uh, Macron is uh, the most... European of leaders. He's uh, 
more or less the, the leader of Europe now. Uh, if he wins this election, he'll definitely be the leader of Europe because Schultz is A, too new, and B, too shy and retiring, right? He's not a real leader. He's not pushing out front. Merkel was also very hesitant to actually drive forward on stuff. But Merkel had 16 years of experience and she was highly respected. And uh, when you've got that many years of experience, the elder statesman, you get away with it, right? Schultz is not going to get that kind of honeymoon to be the leader of Europe like Merkel was. So Macron is open and Macron is really the only candidate if he wins this election. And Draghi over in Italy is also an extremely strong candidate who uh, gets along well with Macron because they're both uh, strong Europhiles, as we are, and we're certain to try and drive Europe into intelligent places. So I, I hope Macron wins and I hope Draghi stays on and I hope that they have the influence in Europe that they deserve because they really are the two smartest economic guys on the, in the picture. So that's great. Those are our thoughts. And there you go. We predict Macron will win. Second ballot will be at the end of the month. And we'll have another podcast to cover some more issues regarding France. So, arrivederci. Au revoir à tout le monde. Vive la France. Vive la France, indeed. And hey, thanks for listening. And please check out my website, baileyalexander.com, for little films, little essays, books, info, news, all that jazz. Arrivederci.